0: Podcast of verbal
1: narcissism for ugly
2: journalists.
3: Hello, can I talk to Mister David Dave Bowman?
1: Approach and
2: identify. Hello. In the summer of 1787, 55 men would gather in the city of Philadelphia. They were tasked with fixing the government of the United States. Over the next four months, they would debate, discuss, argue, and refine the first document of its kind in all of history—an attempt to show that men can rule themselves by law. This is the story of those men. And those times, this is Constitution Thursday, the time we set aside to read, discuss, study, debate, and learn about the Constitution of the United States, what it meant when it was written, why it was written that way, what it means now, and how it affects our lives each and every day. Here's how you can participate. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 565-3283. The email address is dave at the dave Bowman And on the web and social media, just search for Constitution Thursday. Hey, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today, and most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life and thought about the laws of gravity, speech, association, tench Cox, the PDRK, and a few other things that might pop up along the way. And humanity. It's Constitution Thursday, so don't touch that dial, just try to hear me out for a while. Here's how you get a hold of me, the text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE, that's 565-3283. Email remains dave at show.com. and of course we're on the web. Look for the Dave Bowman Show on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and your preferred non-denominational web search engine. A loqui the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion. Of knowledge. Well, it is Constitution Thursday, but as I said, there is other stuff happening today. It's, uh, it's been one of those weird mornings, I guess, from a news standpoint. It's been one of those weird mornings from a YouTube standpoint. YouTube is not really playing well with others today. I'm not sure what's going on there. I had to, re, I had to restart everything like 10 minutes ago. It was running fine. And then all of a sudden it said, could not, the broadcaster could not, what's the word they use for it, initialize. And so we had to restart everything. We had to rebuild the chat room. We had to rebuild everything. So I hate you, YouTube. I still do. Yeah, I use you because I have to, but I hate you. White House announcing this morning, earlier, about an hour and a half ago, that the Summit, the scheduled summit, or at least proposed summit happening in June between the People's Democratic Republic of Korea, otherwise known as North Korea. Uh, so the PDRK is, uh, is off. The summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un will not be happening, certainly not be happening in June. The reasons for this seem to be for whatever reason, and I kind of, you know, I I don't want to be a downer and I don't want to be, you know, Dave, the downer here. And I don't want to be the, I, I really don't want to be negative about this because I really, really want peace to happen in Korea. I really do. But as you know, as we've talked about this, I've been a little unsure about this. It, there, there's something in this, in the back of this that always really kind of, it just doesn't seem likely. It just doesn't seem like this is going to happen. It just doesn't seem like this is going to to work. And so who knows? I, I guess I, I'm just kind of, there's a part of me that just says, this is what I expected to have happen. This is what was going to happen. This is what was, you know, it was inevitable that this thing would not be pulled off. I mean, it, it just, it it didn't seem from day one, it just didn't seem like this was really realistic. It just didn't, it just didn't hold water folks. It just didn't.
0: It's, it's like, uh, you know,
2: I don't. I don't know. It's it's kind of like we've all dated that that girl at some point in our life that says she's interested, wants to be interested, but then when the day comes for the date, she's got to wash her hair, or that's what they did when I was younger. Kids uh, nowadays, it you know something comes up, and they just can't commit fully. They they always find a, an excuse, a reason not to carry on, not to go through with things, and that's what this seems like to me. The closer this got to actually happening, nobody believed that this would actually happen in the first place. Nobody believed that this was going to occur. And then as it got closer and closer and closer to actually occurring, it seemed like North Korea got more and more, the word, snitty about things. It, It seemed like they got more and more prissy and more and more pushy about things and more and more aggressive and more and more standard what we've come to expect from North Korea. And in doing so kind of kind of put the kibosh in the whole thing because Trump's letter this morning, I thought it was pretty measured and pretty, it, it was the kind of thing you would say to, to a child, you know, look, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not mad at you, but we can't meet under these conditions. We can't meet with you acting like this. We can't, we can't continue this way with you behaving in this manner, we've got to, you, you've got to get back on the wagon here. You've got to get back to where we need you to be. If we're going to have any reasonable expectation of accomplishing anything in this, in this summit. And the initial reports were that North Korea had insulted president Pence, vice president Pence, sorry, <clears throat> don't mean to get ahead of the game there. Uh, but I, it was nice it was nice to see that. It was nice to see that the letter did not actually include language to that effect. I didn't think that that would be the reason anyway. I mean, they didn't cancel Hamilton for insulting a vice president so why would they why would they cancel a summit for that if if that even happened the The tensions in Asia right now are extremely high they're for all practical purposes. Let's see, the Chinese landed a bomber at a base the other day that that we say they don't actually have. We we de-invited them, disinvited them. Is that the right word? Is it de-invite or disinvite? Uninvite? We told them not to show up for RIMPAC 2018 this year. RIMPAC is a Pacific Rim naval exercise where all the nations of the Pacific Rim get together and they practice doing Navy stuff. Everything from... Simulating attacks to rescuing men overboard. To, I mean, any, anything a navy can do, and we all practice it together, and we're all one big happy fleet, right? Isn't that the line from Star Trek 2 Khan, look, we're all one big happy fleet, except that the Chinese got themselves disinvited this year, deinvited, uninvited, told the other day to not show up, and so the tensions are rising with China over the South China Sea and the USS. Gerald Ford I guess is back in port cuz it doesn't work and it's just it's like all this stuff happening at once and you wonder how much is uh, how much of this the the North Korean thing even matters i mean nothing has actually changed the situation on the Korean peninsula remains at a status quo nothing nothing changes nothing grows nothing recedes but an opportunity may have been lost. And again, I I feel like I never really believed it was going to happen in the first place. I never really could get my mind around it. I never really could sit here and go, yay, this is going to happen. I was excited. I thought it might happen. And I thought it would be an interesting thing to see happen. What if something wonderful comes out of it? Uh, But then again, the flip side of that is, you know, they used to say about Joseph Stalin, a meeting with Stalin has three possible endings and only one of them is good. It's possible that they could have gone into this summit and, you know, everything would have gotten worse. Who knows? But at the end of the day, the summit is off and the tensions with China continue to rise. So, oh, and we're out of bombs. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, the uh, the military is out of bombs. Well, not completely out of bombs yet, but they're running out of bombs. and. They don't have any way to replace them yet. They got plenty of money. They got more money than God at this point, thanks to the new budget, but they don't have any manufacturers that can build them for them yet. And you say to yourself, that's ridiculous, Dave. They're bombs. But apparently, the manufacturing process that makes bombs is a tad bit more complex than just stuffing a, a steel case full of high explosives and putting a fuse on it. Uh, there, apparently, there's more involved in it than that. I'm sure a few congressmen have to get some donations to their campaigns and the likes of that in order to make this work. And the manufacturing capability of the United States is in dire straits right now. And the military is seriously questioning future ability to conduct combat operations that use bombs because they're running out of them. We knew they were running out of tomahawks, but they're planning that. the, The tomahawk thing is a completely different story. And Anyway, all of that's going on, and makes you wonder. Of course, the lead nor- lead story in my social media today is the NFL
0: screwing up.
2: <laughs> you know, I love football, but I couldn't care less. I really couldn't. Uh now all the people that were protesting last year because the players were kneeling for the for the uh, for the anthem. Now everybody's protesting the fact that the NFL is suppressing the First Amendment rights of these people, these players, which it isn't, but you wouldn't expect most Americans to understand the subtlety of that. Although there is a certain, a certain thing here that I kind of like about this. And we're going to talk about First Amendment issues today. We're going to get into First Amendment speech and association based on the court ruling that came out yesterday in Knight First Amendment Center versus Trump. Now. This whole idea of the NFL players has been been argued about and kicked about and, and everything else. There's no First Amendment issue here. That's what I keep coming back to. Do I like what the players did? No, I don't. I find it highly offensive. I think that they're being rude, and I think people that are rude are jerks, and I really don't want to be around them. That is not the same thing as saying they have no right to say this. Because anytime you get into the they have no right to say this thing, now you're raising questions about what, what am I trying to suppress? What do you mean they don't have a right to say this? Particularly when you're talking about political speech. If we were talking about you know, interpersonal relationships, maybe there's a different story there. But when you're talking about political speech and you start talking about anybody that says you don't have a right to say something, what you in effect have is the attempted or intentional suppression of someone's opinion, someone's speech, which quite frankly, and we talk about this with science quite a bit, you don't know if they're right or you're right. You you really at the end of the day you don't know. I am get I'm having a ball with this marijuana thing. I told you yesterday, I posted a, a an article from the Skeptical Raptor about the science of whether or not marijuana is medically useful or not. And his conclusion based on the available scientific data is that there is no evidence. There is no evidence that it's medically beneficial. And virtually everybody that's commented on the post has missed the entire point of it, but they have a certain level of faith that it does something or that it doesn't do something. And, then you get into this whole political argument and everybody has missed the whole point of what he was saying. Is it that based on the available evidence, the actual scientific studies, there's no reasonable medical benefit here. And what he's actually saying is, hello, we need more scientific studies. We need to actually examine this and stop relying on hyperbole and, you know, old time remedies and people's, Beliefs in their head because they've they've come to believe this along the way with no actual evidence to support it. That's what he's saying, but everybody's reacting as, "and how dare he say this? He needs to be silenced. He needs to be shut up." Well, does he not have a First Amendment right to say that? Does he not have a right then to say what he had to say about it? And if you're trying to silence him because you know that you're right what are you really saying? Because he's saying you don't really know that you're right because there's no actual scientific evidence of it. Whether you think marijuana is great or not is irrelevant. Whether I think it's bad or not is irrelevant. Where is the peer reviewed double blind study showing the benefits of it one way or the other. And until we have that, it's just you and me trying to shut each other up. Right. And at the heart and soul of the First Amendment, while it's about government not being able to do that, and I get that, there is a certain element of Americanism that says in our minds that it applies to everything, doesn't it? We act as if the First Amendment applies to everything. And then we're surprised when it doesn't. We're, we're a little like, well, what do you mean I can't wear the cleveland indian ball cap to my job working for the new york yankees what but i've been a cleveland indians fan all my life why can't i wear an indians ball cap at the at the yankees office why can't i do that says the guy on the unemployment line why can't i wear i don't know a you know man sucks t-shirt to my job working at a local farm (laughs) why can't i do that it's it's intriguing the way we Americans and and I've said this before the First Amendment is our it is our treasure. I know that there are people who will tell you that their most important amendment is the second one, the most important right is the Second Amendment. But really, as a corporate body, we value, we place on a pedestal, we almost give it a kind of a divine property. I'm not saying it's God. I'm just saying we kind of give it that sort of uh, prof- property. The first amendment is really where Americans are in their wheelhouse, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. Yay us. We can say whatever the hell we want. We can print whatever we want. And we can go to church or synagogue or mosque or whatever we want. And boy do we boy do we make that happen. I would I haven't run the numbers on it, but I would bet you that of all the of of, of all the Bill of Rights, the Ted, you know the the amendments there. If you took into account all of the amendments, I would bet you that the vast majority of the court's workload revolves around the First Amendment, particularly when combined with the Fourteenth Amendment and the ideas of incorporations. I, I the First Amendment's where it is. He said something I don't like. Well, he's got a right to say it. But he can't say it in a fire or a a theater or he can't say that because it, it, it provokes this person or he can't say it because it's, you know, hateful or whatever. Or you can't print that because it's, you know, libelous or you can print that because, you know, really, whether it's true or not becomes... Oh, well, I can wear a Medal of Honor and claim to be a Medal of Honor winner because I have the freedom of speech to tell lies, according to the court. As long as I don't financially benefit from it, what do you care? Again, the vast majority of our arguments over the First Amendment come into this place, and this is, what, this is where you get with the NFL players. Is it a First Amendment issue? No, it's not. An employer has certain rights. The, the, the First Amendment does not limit what an employer can say. In the conduct of a job, you will behave in this manner, or you will be out of a job. And as long as that, you know, manner doesn't violate certain principles and certain ideas, well, they can do that. And one of the things you, you know, you would do as any business, wherever you are, is say to your employees, don't piss off the customer. Don't make the customer mad. Don't insult the customer. And whether whether the players have a First Amendment right to protest the National Anthem or not really isn't the issue. The issue is you're pissing off the customer. We're losing money. Look around the stands. We're not going to be able to pay you $9 million a year to tackle somebody if you keep behaving like this, because nobody's going to pay to see it anymore. Now, Again, I have my own issues with the NFL. I don't think it has anything to do with that, but... The point is, it's not a First Amendment issue, but it's being treated as a First Amendment issue by the arguments around it. This is important to understand this, by the arguments around whether the players are doing the right thing. Well, I I fought for their right to be able to do this, and I'm going to be furious with the NFL if they tell them they can't.
0: That First Amendment speech?
2: Well, oh, I'm mad because the players are insulting me because I fought for this country and the rights of this country, and blah blah blah. And is that First Amendment speech? And so, what was essentially a labor dispute that was attempted to being drawn into the political arena by by the players has turned into something completely different. It is has become nebulous. It's become unclear, and you know it as well as I do.
0: You know that this is coming. At some point, a player is going to be disciplined for doing this.
2: And what will the courts say then? You would think that the courts would just say, look, dude, it's an employment thing. You you violated your employer's code of conduct. Sorry. Boom, chick, wah, You're out. But what if they don't? What if... They go on Twitter and say something that the team doesn't like. Is that protected speech? What if they're on Twitter talking about the team that they work for? Is that protected? Twitter has become the focal point, as you may have heard yesterday. The Southern District of New York
0: issued their ruling that
2: the president's habit of blocking people on Twitter, specifically those who politically disagreed with him,
0: was unconstitutional. Let me say that again.
2: The court yesterday, the Southern District of New York court, ruled yesterday that the president blocking people on Twitter
0: is unconstitutional. That's a mouthful. Twitter, a
2: a platform that couldn't have even been imagined in 1789, 1791, the idea of Twitter would have seemed fanciful at best to a generation of Americans that communicated quite extensively. Again, one of the things that the British were just amazed about the Americans during the American Revolutionary War was the speed with which we communicated. It was, it was unseen anywhere else in the world. It was astonishing the fact that something could happen in Massachusetts on Monday, and by Tuesday or when, late Tuesday, early Wednesday, everybody in the country would know about it. Well, In many ways, Twitter, social media in general, has become kind of the same thing. Something happens, and instantaneously, everybody in the world now knows about it. And this would have been, like I said, fanciful to the men who wrote the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, which says very simply, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, comma, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, semicolon or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right to peaceably, of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. This has long been, like I said, this has been the holy grail of American rights. I know many people believe that the second is the most important, and you're free to have that opinion, but as a corporate nation, the First Amendment is our, that's our go-to amendment. That is, I have the right to, virtually, with the exception of firearms, that's the thing that virtually everybody goes to. It's intriguing here because some of the things that the court is going to talk about aren't listed there, particularly as, as a right. My long-held argument against Prop 14 in California I have argued quite vociferously about why Prop 14 I believe to be unconstitutional based on the first amendment. It's not here. I had to, I need to rethink my, my approach there because it's not there. Let's take the religion thing out of that because that really doesn't have anything to do with this. So we're really looking today at freedom of speech or of the press and of the right to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress. of We're really looking at those three things, because these three things really represent something unusual around the world. They represent something unheard of in the era when this was written. These all address means of communicating with,
0: about, to the government,
2: that rules over the people. Nobody, in the, nobody who wrote the, the Constitution, nobody who wrote the First Amendment was really worried about what, what Dave says to Ted or what Ted says to Steve or what Steve says to Annette or what Annette says to Jane or what Jane says to, to Phyllis and so forth and so on. That really wasn't the issue. The issue was government and what was said about government, and what was said to the government. You were, in some cases, limited what you could say to the government. You were limited as to how you could address the government, and you certainly were limited in a lot of places as to how many people could do that at once. And these are all elements here that, out of the experience of the American Revolution, out of the experience of dealing with the crown and the the parliamentary government of Great Britain, And, and their own experience with the Confederation, the the Articles of Confederation and the state governments, they began to see things that were problematic. And they firmly believed, and they still believed, and they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that, look, government, as benign as it might be, might still need to be changed. And the way you change that is by people doing it. And the way you prevent that by hap- from happening is allowing people to talk about government, to talk about those things. And so we better make darn sure that we don't prohibit that. We better make darn sure that the people are allowed to do that, that the people understand that they are allowed to do those things. To talk about our government. To complain about our government. To print things about our government. To gather together and presumably then to talk about government to ask the government to fix things. And as long as we have that mentality, as long as we have that methodology, as long as we keep it that way, then hopefully the government will continue. Move ahead a few hundred years, a couple hundred years, and our means of communication have changed. But have those limits changed? Do we still have the right to say what we want about the government? Do we still have the right to print it? Do we have the right to gather together and tell our government what we think they're doing wrong? And can the government interfere with those things? Those are all the questions that were asked of the Southern District Court of New York. Got to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this, right here. Constitution Thursday on Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show, the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network.
4: Being around too much loud noise like a leaf blower or rock concert can cause permanent hearing loss. And once it's gone, you can't get it back. Hearing loss is the third most common chronic health condition in the U.S. Almost twice as many people report hearing loss as diabetes or cancer. The louder a sound is and the longer you're exposed to it, the more likely it will damage your hearing. Repeated exposure to noise can cause stress anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, heart disease, and many other problems. Hearing loss from loud noise at home and in the community can be prevented. Avoid noisy places. Use earplugs, protective earmuffs, or noise-canceling headphones when near loud noises. Keep the volume down when watching TV or listening to music and using earbuds or headphones. Get your hearing checked and ask your health care provider how to protect your hearing from noise. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital Science
3: Underground with your host, Anissa Ramirez. This week, how the disappearance of monarch butterflies is linked to a weed. I'm Anissa Ramirez, and this is Science
0: Underground.
3: Monarch butterflies weigh as much as a paperclip, and they travel 3,000 miles from the U.S. to Mexico for the winter. And when they reach Mexico... They cover acres and acres of trees. Here's where scientists can count their number using 3D laser scanning and track their population. But they noticed something. 20 years ago, there were a billion monarch butterflies. In 2015, there were only 35 million. Compared to two decades ago, less than 10% of the monarchs are left. Monarchs feed on milkweed, but there's a problem. Sonia Altizer, a professor at the University of Georgia, tells us more.
4: Back in 1995, there weren't any herbicide-tolerant crops planted commercially. But now, a lot of growers have shifted so that upwards of 80% or more of the acreage planted to corn and soybean in the U.S. is herbicide-tolerant. And what that means is that when you can spray the herbicides frequently during the summer, the milkweed disappears.
3: Once farmers switched to crops that can resist herbicides, everything changed. You see, milkweed is a weed for us. But milkweed is food for caterpillars and butterflies. Once the weed went away, so did the butterflies. Conservationists suggest that the solution for saving the monarchs is to let milkweed grow in places that don't need landscaping, like along roads, highways, and power lines. So here's your excuse not to mow the lawn. You're welcome. So look, for the cost of a few ugly weeds, we get the mighty monarch back. But in order to make that happen, all of us have to break out of our cocoons to do so. I'm Anissa Ramirez, and this was Science Underground.
1: Legionnaire's disease is a serious, often deadly lung infection. People most commonly get it by breathing in water droplets containing Legionella germs. Many people being treated at healthcare facilities, including long term care facilities and hospitals, have conditions that put them at greater risk of getting sick and dying from Legionnaire's disease. Legionella grows best in buildings with large water systems that aren't managed effectively. Healthcare facility leaders should be aware that Legionnaire's disease is a risk in their facility and that they can do the following to prevent infections. Build a team focused on keeping the facility's water safe. Use a water management program to limit Legionella from growing and spreading. Work with healthcare providers to identify Legionnaire's disease cases early and determine if they may be associated with a healthcare facility. And report cases to local public health authorities quickly. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. What's
2: up, Whitey? Hey Scotsman. (laughs) We're from the Ale Evangelist Show, and you are listening to the podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back. It is Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show. It is Constitution Thursday, a time we look at the Constitution, its history, what it was meant, what it was written, why it was written that way, what it meant, what it means now, how it's been interpreted, how it affects us each and every day. And I think that's really the focal point. I know we left off on the ratification debates in the middle of the Virginia debate, but we'll get back to that sooner or later. I think what's going to end up happening is this is going to have to diverge into two different paths. One is going to be what we're doing right now, which is what we where we look at casework and news and stuff like that. And the other is going to have to be more the history of the, the ratification debates, or I'm never going to finish them, which is annoying. But we'll get there. Stay with me. So we're talking about the First Amendment and its prohibition on the government silencing speech, particularly speech that is aimed at the government, whether that is criticism, whether it's praise, whether it's uh, done by, via print, whether it's done via assembly, all of those things, it, it, whether it's a redress and, and and how, again, we as Americans, we don't draw a good line between where the First Amendment begins and ends. We, we somehow or another, we, we tend to apply it across the board to everything. And then we're surprised when it doesn't apply to our employers. It doesn't apply to our neighbors. It doesn't apply to anything except government. Now, because of the 14th Amendment and incorporation, it also applies to your state governments, your local governments, and your municipality governments, and that sort of thing. But but as a general rule, it doesn't apply to your neighbor. But the problem with the incorporation element of this is that it has lowered it to every government at every level. So now... When is my next door neighbor, who is also my city councilman, when is he talking to me over our backyard fence as the city councilman versus as my neighbor? And how do we know when the line has been crossed? How do we know, you know, when he's complaining to me that my barbecue smoke is drifting over his lawn? Is he complaining as Ted, my next door neighbor, or is he complaining And my next door neighbor's name, by the way, is not Ted, but or is he complaining to me as Ted head the mayor? And it can get confusing, folks. It can become problematic. And when you bump that into the modern world, and all of a sudden the president of the United States has a Twitter
0: account, a social media account, it
2: creates even bigger blurring of that line, doesn't it? Now you could say to yourself, "Well, presidents have had Twitter accounts before, and it's true. I believe Barack Obama had an account." Um, I also would say this: I think that he was very judicious in the way that he used that. There was a, an official White House Twitter account. There was a Barack Obama account, which he kept. I, I would, you know, I don't, I didn't vote for President Obama. I didn't like President Obama, but I, you got to give credit where it's due. I think he did a very good job of keeping very very clear lines between the two. Some years ago in the city where I was, we had a city council person who was a bit of a, well, I'm just going to say it, he was a clown. The the fact that he got elected at all was, uh, there was a lot of social commentary Now, that. But at any rate, this, uh, this city council person took it upon himself to set up an, a, a, a quote-unquote official Facebook page on which he began to disseminate information about the city that had not been presented yet properly to the public in accordance with the laws of that state and the guidelines that had been set up. And now all of a sudden, information was appearing on this Facebook page that was official-ish, but it wasn't really official. And he would then take this information that was on this page, and people would comment on it. And if they praised saying his praises, he would respond with likes and hearts and. But did they do hearts back then? I don't remember. I don't think they did. But anyway, people would he would respond with likes and thank you for your support. And if people disagreed with him, he would ban them from the page. I'm not making that up. This was in 2013, 2012, 2013, and. He was pretty well castigated uh, by for this by a local radio talk show host who shall remain nameless, but his initials were me, um, who was also one of the people banned from his page, <laughs> leading to the organization of a group called "Banned by," fill in the blank. And what he was never smart enough to figure out was that the people who were singing his praises were just canaries; they were just telling him what he wanted to hear, and then sharing it sharing it with everybody else <laughs> that was that he was banning. And so uh, he wasn't the brightest candle and the menorah, if you get what I mean. At any rate, <clears throat> this was in 2012, 2013. Now we jump ahead to 2016. And all of a sudden we have a president of the United States who has his own Twitter account. And boy, oh boy, does he use it. Donald Trump is unique amongst the 45 presidents that we've had in that he has no hesitation whatsoever. To say whatever he has to say, whatever he wants to say, whether it's political in nature or personal in nature, on the old Twitter account there. And the White House Twitter account has basically withered on the vine. It's still there, but why would you follow that when you could follow at real Donald Trump and get all the real Donald Trumpisms that you want right away? I will say this up front. I have been highly critical of the fact that the president does this. In fact, the virtually the entire argument. Over his immigration rules, his immigration executive orders is centered around comments he made on the campaign trail and tweets that he made as to what his intention was. Because that's the question is, what is the intention of these orders? And in those tweets, he made it clear what he believed the intentions of that order were. And I've said this numerous times. He should just shut up. He should just stop tweeting because. His tweets are what get him in trouble. His tweets are what... But there's a flip side to this, which I want to be clear about as well, which is that I also like the fact that we finally have a president who will say what's on his mind instead of the typical political BS. Instead of explaining to me that we have to consider all the elements so that at the end of the day we have a cross-section of ideas that we can ensure that all the potential elements of an, uh, of a decision-making process are considered, he just says, no, or yes,
0: or I don't like that, or those guys shouldn't be allowed to kneel. The problem comes in, in what is Donald Trump's Twitter account? Now, on
2: the one hand, it's a private Twitter account that he's had for many, many years. Donald Trump has been on Twitter for a long time. Donald Trump was on Twitter, I, I think, back all the way back in 2008, if I recall right. In the 2012 election, he was quite adamant on Twitter. He was quite active on Twitter during the 2012 election and tweeted many things that were you know, basically insane. He was a birther, and he made it clear on Twitter back in those days, as a private citizen he has kept the same account as President of the United States. So is that account his personal account, or is that the President's account, and is the President of the United States, being a political figure, therefore, subject to the constraints of the First Amendment? And in the 21st century, when a platform now exists, which people can speak on, can print on, can assemble on, and request redress upon
0: subject to the First Amendment's constraints.
2: Even though it's a personal account, not the President's account, per se. It, it isn't the POTUS, at POTUS, it isn't at WhiteHouse.gov, it isn't any of those things. It's at real Donald Trump, and it certainly is the real Donald Trump. You will, you will get real Donald Trump on
0: Twitter. And, of course, much like the,
2: the Gundy did back in 2000, that the city councilman's name was Gundy, much as he did, the president, once he became president, and I'm sure he did this before he was president too, but now that he is president, he has taken to the practice of banning people from his Twitter account disagree with him on a political issue. So he tweets something. I don't know, pick it. I, I don't, it doesn't really matter. Someone disagrees with his statement. Someone disagrees with his policy. Someone disagrees with something that he's doing. And the president, at real Donald Trump, and the person that he uses to actually run this Twitter account, as I've long suspected, there is a person actually doing it that is not necessarily. Donald Trump typing that in. He may be telling him what to say, although clearly he does it on occasion himself, too. At any rate, those two people have taken to banning people who are disagreeing with them. And this has created a kerfuffle, as it were, that needed to be decided by the courts because what if the president's banning of these people is in fact stifling it is in fact violating their free speech it is essentially telling them that they cannot speak to the president via this platform they cannot you know assemble on this platform they're told that they can't assemble and so forth and so on and 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 it's it, it sounds like a pretty straightforward thing i mean my initial response to this had i been the person that they came to and say, Dave, in your wisdom, what do you think? I would have said, he's the president of the United States. He's using this account to conduct business as the president of the United States. QED, it should be protected by the First Amendment and he should stop banning people. I've said that on the air. I've said that before. He Banning people is stupid. You don't need to ban people anymore. This is something that this is something I discovered a long time ago. Um, number 1, if, if if how many of you buy things on Amazon, right? And you go to buy something on Amazon and you're not sure, so what do you do? You click on the reviews. Oh, let's see what people think. And it has, I don't know, pick it has 25 reviews. And all of them are five star and all of them are singing the praises of this topic, this product. All of them are telling you that this product changed my life. This product changed. I I couldn't walk and I bought this product and now I can stand. I couldn't see and I bought this product and now I can. And and you get 25 and you get this over and over again. And you start thinking to yourself, there's something weird here. Same thing happens with books. Okay. I don't know a lot of things in this world, but I do know this. I don't care what your book is. I don't care what your book is about. I don't care how well-written your book is or how wonderful it is. Somebody hates your book, and they can't wait to tell everybody that they hate your book. And so when I go to buy a book and I see nothing but rave reviews, four or five stars over and over and over again, they get suspicious. Something ain't right here. Something's not right here. And so the same thing happens with social media. If you go on a social media account, and all it is is people singing the praises of somebody, this is not logical, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I've been in this business long enough to know that at least 20% of the people who listen anyway, even though they tell me they're not going to hate me, hate me. They're only listening because I pissed them off and they can't wait to tell me how much I've pissed them off. They can't wait to write in the reviews. This guy's an idiot. This guy stinks. This guy shouldn't be on the air. This guy is for crying out loud. The radio station that I left four years ago still has reviews that are relatively recent complaining about me it's amazing to watch it really is and so when you ban those people when you block those people essentially all you're doing is turning all your reviews and comments into narcissistic echo chamber yay you yay me look how great i am i don't need no court jester making reminding me that i'm Fallible or that I'm human, I don't need to listen to maybe perhaps valid points of disagreement. I've done away with all of that, and everything on my page is people love me. I think that looks ridiculous. I think that's why you don't ban those people. You don't have to read it. I, the most wonderful thing I ever discovered on Facebook was mute, (laughs) ignore. I have, I can't even tell you how many friends I have. I don't know, 600, I guess. And Many of them are friends of friends or friends of relatives or relatives that are distant or whatever. And I just don't really give a rat's behind what they had to say. But I don't want to unfriend them because that seems mean. So I just put them on ignore and I never see or hear from them again, unless I want to, unless I want to take the time to go do that. And I'm sure that there are people who do that with mine. I'm sure that there are. And I'm I'm fine with that. I don't want to do away with the negative because without the negative, you know, it's Captain Kirk. It's the, it's, it's the good Kirk and the bad Kirk. I need the bad Kirk. I need the bad Dave, because without the bad Dave, I can't really be Dave. I think Trump's making a huge mistake in banning these people. But is it a constitutional issue? Is there a reason why it should not be banned? Well, the court ruled on this yesterday. It decided, the, uh, the, court, the Southern District Court of New York decided on three points. Number one, that the virtual space provided by Twitter for replying to the president's tweets is, quote, a designated public forum. Is
0: Is it? Then they clarified
2: that. A space controlled by, even if not owned by, the government that is generally open for public speech to fellow members of the public. All right, that makes sense to me. There's no way you can deny that the president of the United States has a Twitter account, which is a, an open public forum that he controls, and he is the government. He is the president of the United States. Even if he doesn't own it, he controls it, and it is for public speech. Kinda, therefore, First Amendment pro- forbids viewpoint discrimination. The tweets themselves are not a forum because they are the president's own speech, but the space for public replies is a forum, said the court. Court's concern is that replies are a valuable means for the repliers to speak to fellow members of the public. Court recognizes that there's no right to speak to the president in the way the president is obliged to read. That's what I said. He does not have to read it. The president remains free, for instance, to use Twitter's mute function, which would keep him from seeing their user replies when he replies when he reviews his own feed. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all got to do if you don't want to see bad things about yourself, just don't read them. Just put
0: mute on and don't, don't pay attention to it.
2: They tell you in, in, in radio, don't read your reviews. Don't no, Never read your own reviews. You know, it'll mess you up if you do. Number two, the president controls this space in his capacity as a government official, not just as a private citizen. The record, and, and this was stipulated by both parties, the record establishes that at real Donald Trump is presented as being registered to Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States. So the Twitter account of itself establishes it as belonging to the presidency, of the, United, the president of the United States. The president's tweets are from the real Donald Trump. They are official records that must be preserved under the Presidential Res- Records Act. And the real Donald Trump account has been used in the course of appointment of officers, including cabinet secretaries, the removal of officers, and the conduct of foreign policy, all of which are clearly executive office functions. That is that the president represents the at real Donald Trump account as being a presidential account as opposed to a personal account. And more importantly, uses the account to take actions that can only be taken by the president of the United States. Yes, it was created long before he became the president of the United States. But how is it acting today when he's banning these people? He is acting, it is acting as the official
0: presidential Twitter account.
2: Number three, the block views. Now, this is where it gets intriguing to me. Because we've, we've been very critical of the president. And I, and I want to say that up front. We have been, I've been critical of the president about this. This, this is stupid. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing it this way? Why is it? But very few of us have bothered to criticize the people who have been banned. Remember what I told you about the, the page from the city councilman? Even though he banned me from the page, I still saw everything that he printed. You know why? Because they're workarounds, it would have been very easy for me to create another identity online and say I want to follow this page or I want to be friends with that person or whatever, and 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 follow it that way. I could have done that. Instead, I used the process of having individuals who were who shall remain nameless, but it was Jeff um, who would who would you know, suck up to the guy on purpose and then print out everything he printed and then, and then send it to me so that I could post it on my page saying, see, But uh Even though I was banned, and he, I don't know that he ever figured out the fact that, <laughs> anyway. We're critical of the president, but are we critical of the people who could do those things, who could take those actions? It is impossible, impossible, for you to be completely eliminated from reading the president's tweets or responding to the president in its entirety. There are methods you could take. There are workarounds. You could create a new account. You could, I don't know. You could add steps. You could. You, you have to understand that this. These are problem. These are things that could be done. And so, can the president ban people that he doesn't want on his Twitter account for disagreeing with him politically? Now we're not talking about the people who are being crude about it and being rude about it and, you know, saying things that are inappropriate. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the people who are, you know, have legitimate disagreements and are doing so in a proper manner and presenting it in that way. There are workarounds to that. Shouldn't they just, couldn't the court have just said, you know what? Just use the workarounds. It's it's not that hard. It's It's not really even all that difficult. It's not a vast burden,
0: right? But it
2: is, as the court decided, a burden. It is something that someone, with the protections of the First Amendment and the restrictions that the First Amendment has placed on the government, should not have to deal with. The government should not be able to require you to go pretend to be somebody else or create a second account, or do any of those things. It's not a vast word in the court said, but the First Amendment recognizes and protects against even de minimis harms. Even things that are simple to work around, the First Amendment says, thou shalt not.
0: And properly so.
2: You're going to get a lot of conservatives yelling today about, well, this isn't right. But the fact of the matter is the president has essentially brought this on himself by using a forum that he then limits to control who can reply to him as a government official. Sure, what he says could be construed as free speech. It could be free speech. Obviously, the things that he does that are definitive actions of the president of the United States are not. But you could argue that, you know, his his insults of Kim Jong-un and so forth and so on. You could argue that those are free speech, but he's still the president of the United States. Is this a stump
0: speech as he's running, running for reelection or is it something else?
2: It's a harder element, that number two, as the, as the president, it's, it's a harder element to, to get our minds around. And it's, it's certainly more difficult to say with, with any definitiveness this is the
0: way it is. But shouldn't a government official
2: automatically default to protecting the citizens' free speech? Shouldn't a, shouldn't a government official automatically recognize the dangers that he, is pre- that he is presenting here to the concepts of free speech? Wouldn't a president of the United States who's sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States Choose to honor the limits of the First Amendment, the restrictions of the First Amendment, as opposed to blocking people. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The president needs to get off Twitter. He needs to shut up. It's better for him. It's better for us. It's better for everybody. And on January 21st, whatever year it is that he leaves office, then he can tweet away. But while you're the president of the United States, you certainly ought to not be banning people without real reason for doing so, other than they just happen to disagree with you. I don't ban people for disagreeing with me. I ban people who are being jackasses, but that's a different story. You disagree with me, you're welcome here. I'm not going to hide your stuff. I'm not going to ban it. I'm not going to agree with it, but if two people agree on everything, then... One of them is not necessary, right? Got to get going. Got to get running. Thanks, everybody, for being here for Constitution Thursday. What do you think? Dave at the Dave Bowman Show.com or comment on Facebook and Twitter. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. See you tomorrow, everybody, for a Friday episode.
3: Possibly Live is a Slippery Fish entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Network. To contact Dave directly, call or text area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 209-565-3283. The email address is dave at Show.com. For more information or to hear past shows, go to www.possiblylive.com. Hey, I'm
0: going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.